Chapter thirty one of Doctor Thorne. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Nick Whitley, Purley, United Kingdom. Chapter thirty one. The small end of the wedge. Frank Gresham was absent from Greshamsbury twelve months and a day. A day is always added to the period of such absences as shown in the history of Lord Bateman and other noble heroes. We need not detail all the circumstances of his banishment, all the details of the compact that was made. One detail, of course, was this, that there should be no corresponding, a point to which the squire found some difficulty in bringing his son to assent. It must not be supposed that Mary Thorne, or the doctor, were in any way parties to or privy to these agreements. By no means. The agreements were drawn out and made and signed and sealed at Greshamsbury, and were known of nowhere else. The reader must not imagine that Lady Arabella was prepared to give up her son, if only his love could remain constant for one year. Neither did Lady Arabella consent to any such arrangement, nor did the squire. It was settled rather in this wise, that Frank should be subjected to no torturing process, pestered to give no promises, should in no way be bullied about Mary, that is, not at present, if he would go away for a year. Then, at the end of the year, the matter should again be discussed. Agreeing to this, Frank took his departure, and was absent as per agreement. What were Mary's fortunes immediately after his departure must be shortly told, and then we will again join some of our Greshamsbury friends at a period about a month before Frank's return. When Sir Louis saw Frank Gresham standing by Mary's donkey, with his arms round Mary's knees, he began to fear that there must be something in it. He had intended that very day to throw himself at Mary's feet, and now it appeared to his inexperienced eyes as though somebody else had been at the same work before him. This not unnaturally made him cross. So, after having sullenly wished the visitor good-bye, he betook himself to his room, and there drank Curacao alone, instead of coming down to dinner. This he did for two or three days, and then, taking heart of grace, he remembered that, after all, he had very many advantages over young Gresham. In the first place, he was a baronet, and could make his wife a lady. In the next place, Frank's father was alive, and liked to live, whereas his own was dead. He possessed Boxall Hill in his own right, but his rival had neither house nor land of his own. After all, might it not be possible for him also to put his arm round Mary's knees, her knees, or her waist, or perhaps even her neck? Faint heart never won fair lady. At any rate, he would try. And he did try. 
with what result as regards mary need hardly be told he certainly did not get nearly so far as putting his hand even upon her knee before he was made to understand that it was no go as he graphically described it to his mother he tried once and again on the first time mary was very civil though very determined on the second she was more determined though less civil and then she told him that if he pressed her further he would drive her from his mother's house there was something then about mary's eye a fixed composure round her mouth and an authority in her face which went far to quell him and he did not press her again he immediately left boxall hill and returning to london had more violent recourse to the curacao it was not long before the doctor heard of him and was obliged to follow him and then again occurred those frightful scenes in which the poor wretch had to expiate either in terrible delirium or more terrible prostration of spirits the vile sin which his father had so early taught him then mary returned to her uncle's home frank was gone and she therefore could resume her place at greshamsbury yes she came back to greshamsbury but greshamsbury was by no means the same place that it was formerly almost all intercourse was now over between the doctor and the greshamsbury people he rarely ever saw the squire and then only on business not that the squire had purposely quarrelled with him but dr thorne himself had chosen that it should be so since frank had openly proposed for his niece frank was now gone and lady arabella was in arms against him it should not be said that he kept up any intimacy for the sake of aiding the lovers in their love no one should rightfully accuse him of inveigling the heir to marry his niece mary therefore found herself utterly separated from beatrice she was not even able to learn what beatrice would think or did think of the engagement as it now stood she could not even explain to her friend that love had been too strong for her and endeavour to get some comfort from that friend's absolution from her sin this estrangement was now carried so far that she and beatrice did not even meet on neutral ground lady arabella made it known to miss oriel that her daughter could not meet mary thorne even as strangers meet and it was made known to others also mrs yates umbleby and her dear friend miss gushing to whose charming tea-parties none of the greshamsbury ladies went above once in a twelvemonth talked through the parish of this distressing difficulty they would have been so happy to have asked dear mary thorne only the greshamsbury ladies did not approve mary was thus tabooed from all society in the place in which a twelvemonth since she had been of all its denizens perhaps the most courted in those days no bevy of greshamsbury young ladies had fairly represented the greshamsbury young ladyhood 
if Mary Thorne was not there. Now she was excluded from all such bevies. Patience did not quarrel with her, certainly, came to see her frequently, invited her to walk, invited her frequently to the parsonage. But Mary was shy of acceding to such invitations, and at last frankly told her friend Patience that she would not again break bread in Greshamsbury in any house in which she was not thought fit to meet the other guests who habitually resorted there. In truth, both the doctor and his niece were very sore, but they were of that temperament that keeps all its soreness to itself. Mary walked out by herself boldly, looking, at least, as though she were indifferent to all the world. She was indeed hardly treated. Young ladies' engagements are generally matters of profoundest secrecy, and are hardly known of by their near friends till marriage is a thing settled. But all the world knew of Mary's engagement within a month of that day on which she had neglected to expel Frank's finger from her hand. It had been told openly through the countryside that she had confessed her love for the young squire. Now it is disagreeable for a young lady to walk about under such circumstances, especially so when she has no female friend to keep her in countenance, more especially so when the gentleman is of such importance in the neighbourhood as Frank was in that locality. It was a matter of moment to every farmer and every farmer's wife which bride Frank should marry of those bespoken for him, Mary, namely, or money. Every yokel about the place had been made to understand that, by some feminine sleight of hand, the doctor's niece had managed to trap Master Frank, and that Master Frank had been sent out of the way so that he might, if yet possible, break through the trapping. All this made life rather unpleasant for her. One day, walking solitary in the lanes, she met that sturdy farmer to whose daughter she had in former days been so serviceable. "'God bless ee, Miss Mary,' said he. He always did bid God bless her when he saw her. "'And, Miss Mary, to say my mind out freely, thee be quite good enough for un, quite good enough. So thee beast, though thee were ten squires.' There may perhaps have been something pleasant in the heartiness of this, but it was not pleasant to have this heart affair of hers thus publicly scanned and talked over, to have it known to every one that she had set her heart on marrying Frank Gresham, and that all the Greshams had set their hearts on preventing it, and yet she could in no wise help it. No girl could have been more staid and demure less demonstrative and boastful about her love she had never yet spoken freely out of her full heart to one human being oh frank all her spoken sin had been contained in that but lady arabella had been very active it suited her better that it should be known far and wide that a nameless pauper lady arabella only surmised that her foe was nameless but she did not scruple to declare it was intriguing to catch the heir of greshamsbury 
none of the greshams must meet mary thorne that was the edict sent about the country and the edict was well understood those therefore were bad days for miss thorne she had never yet spoken on the matter freely out of her full heart to one human being not to one not to him not to her uncle no not even to him fully and freely she had told him that that had passed between frank and her which amounted at any rate on his part to a proposal well dearest and what was your answer said her uncle drawing her close to him and speaking in his kindest voice i hardly made any answer uncle you did not reject him mary no uncle and then she paused he had never known her tremble as she now trembled but if you say that i ought i will she added drawing every word from herself with difficulty i say you ought mary nay but this question you must answer yourself must i said she plaintively and then she sat for the next half hour with her head against his shoulder but nothing more was said about it they both acquiesced in the sentence that had been pronounced against them and went on together more lovingly than before the doctor was quite as weak as his niece nay weaker she hesitated fearfully as to what she ought to do whether she should obey her heart or the dictates of greshamsbury but he had other doubts than hers which nearly set him wild when he strove to bring his mind to a decision he himself was now in possession of course as a trustee only of the title deeds of the estate more of the estate much more belonged to the heirs under sir roger scatcherd's will than to the squire it was now more than probable that that heir must be mary thorne his conviction became stronger and stronger that no human efforts would keep sir louis in the land of the living till he was twenty-five could he therefore wisely or honestly in true friendship to the squire to frank or to his niece take any steps to separate two persons who loved each other and whose marriage would in all human probability be so suitable and yet he could not bring himself to encourage it then the idea of looking after dead men's shoes was abhorrent to his mind especially when the man whose death he contemplated had been so trusted to him as had been sir louis scatcherd he could not speak of the event even to the squire as being possible so he kept his peace from day to day and gave no counsel to mary in the matter and then he had his own individual annoyances and very aggravating annoyances they were the carriage or rather post-chaise of dr filgrave was now frequent in greshamsbury passing him constantly in the street among the lanes and on the high roads 
It seemed as though Dr. Filgrave could never get to his patients at the big house without showing himself to his beaten rival, either on his way thither or on his return. This alone would perhaps not have hurt the doctor much, but it did hurt him to know that Dr. Filgrave was attending the squire for a little incipient gout, and that dear Nina was in measles under those unloving hands. And then also the old-fashioned phaeton of old-fashioned old Dr. Century was seen to rumble up to the big house, and it became known that Lady Arabella was not very well, not very well, when pronounced in a low grave voice about Lady Arabella, always meant something serious, and in this case something serious was meant. Lady Arabella was not only ill, but frightened. It appeared even to her that Dr. Filgrave himself hardly knew what he was about, that he was not so sure in his opinion, so confident in himself, as Dr. Thorne used to be. How should he be, seeing that Dr. Thorne had, medically, had Lady Arabella in his hands for the last ten years? If sitting with dignity in his hired carriage, and stepping with authority up the big front steps, would have done anything, Dr. Filgrave might have done much. Lady Arabella was greatly taken with his looks when he first came to her, and it was only when she by degrees perceived that the symptoms which she knew so well did not yield to him that she began to doubt those looks. After a while, Dr. Filgrave himself suggested Dr. Century. Not that I fear anything, Lady Arabella, said he, lying hugely, for he did fear, fear both for himself and for her. But Dr. Century has great experience, and in such a matter, when the interests are so important, one cannot be too safe. So Dr. Century came and toddled slowly into her ladyship's room. He did not say much. He left the talking to his learned brother, who certainly was able to do that part of the business. But Dr. Century, though he said very little, looked very grave, and by no means quieted Lady Arabella's mind. She, as she saw the two putting their heads together, already had misgivings that she had done wrong. She knew that she could not be safe without Dr. Thorne at her bedside, and she already felt that she had exercised a most injudicious courage in driving him away. "'Well, doctor,' said she, as soon as Dr. Century had toddled downstairs to see the squire, Oh, we shall be all right, Lady Arabella, all right very soon, but we must be careful, very careful. I am glad I've had century here, very, but there's nothing to alter, little or nothing. There were but few words spoken between Dr. Century and the squire, but few as they were, they frightened Mr. Gresham. 
when dr filgrave came down the grand stairs a servant waited at the bottom to ask him also to go to the squire now there never had been much cordiality between the squire and dr filgrave though mr gresham had consented to take a preventative pill from his hands and the little man therefore swelled himself out somewhat more than ordinarily as he followed the servant dr filgrave said the squire at once beginning the conversation lady arabella is i fear in danger well no i hope not in danger mr gresham i certainly believe i may be justified in expressing a hope that she is not in danger her state is no doubt rather serious rather serious as dr century has probably told you and dr filgrave made a bow to the old man who sat quiet in one of the dining-room armchairs well doctor said the squire i have not any grounds on which to doubt your judgment dr filgrave bowed but with the stiffest slightest inclination which a head could possibly make rather thought that mr gresham had no ground for doubting his judgment nor do i the doctor bowed and a little a very little less stiffly but doctor i think that something ought to be done the doctor this time did his bowing merely with his eyes and mouth the former he closed for a moment the latter he pressed and then decorously rubbed his hands one over the other i am afraid dr filgrave that you and my friend thorne are not the best friends in the world no mr gresham no i may go so far as to say we are not well i am sorry for it perhaps mr gresham we need hardly discuss it but there have been circumstances i am not going to discuss anything dr filgrave i say i am sorry for it because i believe that prudence will imperatively require lady arabella to have dr thorne back again now if you would not object to meet him mr gresham i beg pardon i beg pardon indeed but you must really excuse me dr thorne has in my estimation but dr filgrave mr gresham you really must excuse me you really must indeed anything else that i could do for lady arabella i should be most happy to do but after what has passed i cannot meet dr thorne i really cannot you must not ask me to do so mr gresham and mr gresham continued the doctor i did understand from lady arabella that his that is dr thorne's conduct to her ladyship had been such so very outrageous i may say that 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 of course mr gresham you know best but i did think that lady arabella herself was quite unwilling to see dr thorne again and dr filgrave looked very big and very dignified 
and very exclusive. The squire did not ask again. He had no warrant for supposing that Lady Arabella would receive Dr. Thorne if he did come, and he saw that it was useless to attempt to overcome the rancour of a man so pig-headed as the little Galen now before him. Other propositions were then broached, and it was at last decided that assistance should be sought for from London, in the person of the great Sir Omicron Pye. Sir Omicron came, and doctors Filgrave and Century were there to meet him. When they all assembled in Lady Arabella's room, the poor woman's heart almost sank within her, as well it might at such a sight, if she could only reconcile it with her honour, her consistency, with her high de Courcy principles, to send once more for Dr. Thorne. Oh, Frank, Frank, to what misery your disobedience brought your mother! Sir Omicron and the lesser provincial lights had their consultation, and the lesser lights went their way to Barchester and Silverbridge, leaving Sir Omicron to enjoy the hospitality of Greshamsbury. "'You should have Thorne back here, Mr. Gresham,' said Sir Omicron, almost in a whisper, when they were quite alone. "'Dr. Filgrave is a very good man, and so is Dr. Century. Very good, I am sure. But Thorne has known her ladyship so long.' And then, on the following morning, Sir Omicron also went his way and then there was a scene between the squire and her ladyship lady arabella had given herself credit for great good generalship when she found that the square had been induced to take that pill we have all heard of the little end of the wedge and we have most of us an idea that the little end is the difficulty that pill had been the little end of lady arabella's wedge up to that period she had been struggling in vain to make a severance between her husband and her enemy that pill should do the business she well knew how to make the most of it to have it published in greshamsbury that the square had put his gouty toe into dr filgrave's hands how to let it be known especially at that humble house in the corner of the street that filgrave's prescriptions now ran current through the whole establishment dr thorne did hear of it and did suffer he had been a true friend to the squire and he thought the squire should have stood to him more staunchly after all said he himself perhaps it's as well perhaps it will be best that i should leave this place altogether and then he thought of sir roger and his will and of mary and her lover and then of mary's birth and of his own theoretical doctrines as to pure blood and so his troubles multiplied and he saw no present daylight through them such had been the way in which Lady Arabella had got in the little end of the wedge, and she would have triumphed joyfully had not her increased doubts and fears as to herself then come in to check her triumph 
and destroy her joy. She had not yet confessed to any one her secret regret for the friend she had driven away. She hardly yet acknowledged to herself that she did regret him, but she was uneasy, frightened, and in low spirits. "'My dear,' said the squire, sitting down by her bedside, "'I want to tell you what Sir Omicron said as he went away.' "'Well,' said her ladyship, sitting up and looking frightened, "'I don't know how you may take it, Bell, but I think it very good news.' The squire never called his wife Bell, except when he wanted her to be on particularly good terms with him. "'Well,' said she again, she was not over-anxious to be gracious, and did not reciprocate his familiarity. "'Sir Omicron says that you should have Thorn back again, and upon my honour I cannot but agree with him. Now Thorn is a clever man, a very clever man. Nobody denies that, and then, you know— "'Why did not Sir Omicron say that to me?' said her ladyship sharply all her disposition in dr thorne's favour becoming wonderfully damped by her husband's advocacy i suppose he thought it better to say it to me said the squire rather curtly he should have spoken to myself said lady arabella who though she did not absolutely doubt her husband's word gave him credit for having induced and led on Sir Omicron to the uttering of this opinion. Dr. Thorne has behaved to me in so gross, so indecent a manner, and then, as I understand, he is absolutely encouraging that girl. Now, Belle, you are quite wrong. Of course I am. I always am quite wrong quite wrong in mixing up two things dr thorne as an acquaintance and dr thorne as a doctor it is dreadful to have him here even standing in the room with me how can one talk to one's doctor openly and confidentially when one looks upon him as one's worst enemy and lady arabella softening almost melted into tears my dear you cannot wonder that i should be anxious for you lady arabella gave a little snuffle which might be taken as a not very eloquent expression of thanks for the squire's solicitude or as an ironical jeer at his want of sincerity and therefore i have not lost a moment in telling you what sir omicron said you should have thorn back here those were his very words you can think it over my dear and remember this, Bell, if he is to do any good, no time should be lost. And then the squire left the room, and Lady Arabella remained alone, perplexed by many doubts. End of chapter 31 Recording by Nick Whitley, Purley, United Kingdom